Apocalypse Rock Chapter 17 A Cigarette and a Seagull Doug sat in the driver's seat of his car, feet dangling out the open door. He'd started on his way to pick up his kids, but after a few minutes he pulled over, his nerves too frayed to continue safely. Now smoking his third and final cigarette of the day, way ahead of schedule, he watched the trees sway gently in the wind, the sea beyond spotted with white caps. He was still in shock from July's arrest. Doug's mind went back to when he was a kid. Bear and him were wandering around Sternum Village, bored and getting up to no good. Doug had found an old plastic lighter with a little bit of gas left in it. They saw July's cottage, shuttered and dark. They snuck over the fence and into the orchard, plucking apples and plums from the trees. Behind the cottage they found a dilapidated shed. They opened the rickety door and crept cautiously into the darkness. Kerosene and other accelerants gathered dust on the shelves. Bear reached up and took down a tall, white rectangular tin with red letters across the front. Camping fuel. Well, well, what are you two doing in here? It was July standing in the doorway behind them, a black silhouette against the daylight outside. The two boys sputtered at the dark shadow, making some feeble excuses for their trespassing. July just laughed. They all spent the afternoon chatting. July showed them images of some of the archaeological digs she had been on, the artifacts she had worked with, all the interesting places around the world that she had been to. The boys were awestruck. From then on, they would regularly visit July, excited to hear all her stories, especially after she had returned from a dig. Doug stubbed the cigarette out in the car's ashtray and closed the door. He balled his bandaged right hand into a fist. It ached. He looked at his bandaged head in the rearview mirror and winced. Like some lunatic, he thought. He pulled up the bandage and looked underneath. All around where the bruise had been was a brownish, oily stain from Dr. Hubble's ointment. It was sticky, giving off a faint, boozy smell. He prodded the back of his scalp gently. Doug pulled the bandage off and shoved it under his seat. As he straightened back up, there was a loud thud on the front of his car. Perched on the dented hood was a large scraggly seagull. It peered in at Doug curiously. Hey there, buddy, Doug said to the scavenger. Sorry, I don't have any food. The bird blinked at Doug then stepped closer, its claws tapping against metal. It slowly leaned in toward Doug, blinking at him through the windshield. You want to hitch a ride somewhere? That it? The seagull lunged toward Doug. It attacked the windshield, stabbing and stabbing with its beak, harder and harder against the glass. Whoa, buddy, get out of here. Doug flailed his arms around and hit the inside of the windshield. The crazed bird kept pecking, each time with greater force, its head flopping to either side after each stab. Small shards of yellow beak flecked onto the glass. Stop it, you fucked up seagull. You're gonna hurt yourself. Duck switched on the wipers and sprayed some jets of washer fluid. 
The gull spread its wings and leaped off the hood, flying up into the sky. The hell? Doug mumbled. A series of white, green, and black fecal splats plopped across the old station wagon's windshield, mixing in with the fragments of broken beak. Doug watched the wipers smear crap across the glass. He wished he had another cigarette. That was David Bowie's Five Years from Ziggy Stardust, a classic for the space age that never really was. Covered here by my personal friend Manuelo von Chippenbach and his doo-wop battalion. The DJ's raspy voice came through the stereo. Nice work, Manuelo, and rest in peace, Mr. Bowie. All of us down here, trapped on planet Earth, we miss you. This is 107.7 The End, from outer space to the human race. I'm DJ Frank Bacon, your friendly local interstellar navigator. It's 6 o'clock here on the Pale Blue Dot, so take your protein pills and put your helmets on. It's time for the news. On hearing the time, Doug accelerated to just above the speed limit. The road flattened out into a long straight valley as the news droned on. Chuck Handy reports. The sound of sirens and shouting came through the speakers. Up here in the Inland Empire towns of Concrete Rockport and Marble Mount, folks are getting used to a new way of life. The wildfire way of life. A richly rounded and practiced male voice explained. Emergency level wildfires are now a common occurrence in Skagit County and across the state. Every summer brings with it plumes of smoke polluting much of the region and then evacuations. Doug came up to a driveway in the middle of the valley. He pulled in and drove up to a pale yellow two-story house. It was surrounded by a large lawn. There was a trampoline, a set of swings, toys scattered around. Doug felt a pang. In the middle of the lawn was a large stump. He remembered how they had to cut down the old cedar tree right after Dora was born. The storms had got so heavy that one year a widowmaker had come close to crashing through the roof the large branch wrenching at a gutter on its way down. Then, Doug and Siobhan had noticed the old tree weakening, listing toward the house. When they had it felled, they discovered that the core had rotted, so it would have just been a matter of time before it had come down on its own. They left the stump, not wanting to pull its massive roots up out of the ground. Now, small shrubs were growing out from the hollows, and the kids had left toys all over it. Doug looked at himself in the rearview mirror. No visible bumps or scrapes. A bit of smear from Hubble sauce, tired eyes, and a puffy face. Last of the season's forest fires are finally under control. The news on the radio wrapped up. At least, that is, until next year. Doug switched the radio off. The front door opened and Siobhan stepped out onto the porch, waving down at Doug. Dora and Irene ran out from behind their mum. Doug got out of the car, and the kids ran up and hugged him. Daddy, Mummy got us ice cream for dessert, the one with three colors. Dora, the eldest at six, was ecstatic. I want more. Irene, the youngest of four, was already over the excitement, and had seemingly moved on to severe disappointment over the lack of more ice cream. Siobhan came up behind the kids. She was dressed in jeans and a checked white and yellow shirt her long black hair pulled up under a voluminous trucker cap. She gave Doug a worried look. 
Sharon told me about it this morning. I tried to message you. Doug spoke over the shouting kids. I didn't have a chance to message back. I was in the meeting. He stood up and leaned closer to Siobhan so the kids couldn't hear. Constable Sweetland arrested July. What? exclaimed Siobhan in a sharp whisper. What happened? I think that Sweetland wanted to catch Ramses, but July tried to stop him. Doug gently tousled his daughter's hair. Kiddos, can you run inside and get your backpacks, please? Remember, we got school tomorrow, so bring the books and stuff you need for class. The two daughters ran back into the house. July had a cut on her head. She was bleeding when Sweetland took her away, Doug continued. Bird's gonna check in on her and let me know. I gotta say, it was really shocking. What about you? Siobhan asked. Sharon said you had a massive head injury. What happened? Did someone really knock you out? No, but yeah. I mean, I took the bandage off. It was pointless, but I have no idea what happened. I could have just blacked out, said Doug. I did hear voices from inside my office, but I didn't see anyone. Sweetland kind of latched onto that. Now he's saying I was attacked. Siobhan frowned. Yeah, it's kind of rumor-mongering, replied Doug. Barak and Sweetland's not been properly trained or got shipped out here because he's a liability. That wouldn't be the first time, said Siobhan. What about your head? Has someone looked at it? What's with that weird stain? Dr. Hubble checked and bandaged me up. He put on this special sauce stuff he makes at home, Doug explained. Said he didn't think I had a concussion or anything. It's just a bump on my head. Siobhan sighed. On the subject of incompetence, she paused. Look, I can cancel this weekend's reshoots. They only decided last night, which is crap on their part. Insurance will compensate for more delays. Honestly, it's their mess up. They can reschedule. I don't want you alone with the kids when you might have a concussion. Ah, it's okay, I promise, I'm fine, insisted Doug. I already messaged Sharon about tomorrow night, and she can be on call tonight if I feel bad. Bear's just up the road as well, right? Apart from, like, a headache, I'm fine, honestly. Siobhan's eyes returned to the dark stain on Doug's head. She looked skeptical. Promise, he insisted. Okay. Sorry, things are so busy, Siobhan said. Spring and summer were so hectic. I hate having to spend so much time away from the kids. They get confused. It'll get better, replied Doug. You've wanted this for so long, and now it's finally happening. Soon you can pick and choose what you want to work on. So that'll be good for you, and hopefully good for the kids as well. I hope so. That's what Osmar said as well. Siobhan crossed her arms. Ah, but you know what's funny? Osmar told me that if he didn't have to direct these reshoots, he'd be over here on Sternum. For a holiday? Doug replied. Kind of, replied Siobhan. He said he knows the people at that Golden Years retreat. He said that they're old friends from when he ran a theater group, way before he did movies and TV. He wants to come over for a performance or something. He called it a ritual. You know what Osmar's like. No, I don't actually, 
Doug replied. But golden years seem well connected for a bunch of hippies. Did Sharon tell you about their proposal? Not too much, but she sounded into it. I didn't know Sharon was so into meditation and mindfulness stuff. But I guess it's a good place to put a sweat lodge, way up Costo. It's not just a sweat lodge they want to build, said Doug. They've got hundreds of millions of dollars from Minovasol. They say they'll share it with Sternum, jobs and infrastructure and stuff, which is good. But the plans make it look like it's going to be a fortress. Siobhan paused, her eyes narrowed. Minovasol? They backed Osmar's last few films. And they put up all the money to produce this series. I don't know if they ever get their money back on this stuff. I mean, Osmar's got a cult following, but it's not superhero film kind of money. Not by a long shot. But the Nova Soul boss loves Osmar and his work. What's his name, that guy who does all those weird tweets at night? Tiberius, Oregon. There was a shout and they turned to see the kids running across the front lawn, dragging their backpacks along the grass. Bye, sweeties, Siobhan said. Remember to take care of Daddy and I'll see you Sunday night, okay? She knelt and gave the two kids a hug and a kiss. Auntie Sharon's going to take care of you tomorrow night. She's super excited about it. Where are you going tomorrow night, Daddy? Dora asked. A music gig at the pub, he replied. We'll get more ice cream tomorrow. I'm pretty sure that Sharon wants to make pizza. I want it now. Irene moped while Dora jumped up and down. Into the car, Doug shouted. The two sisters jumped into the back of the old red station wagon, buckled up, and slammed the doors shut. Siobhan looked uncomfortable. Doug, when do you think you'll have those last support payments? It's not going to be a big issue after this job, but I'm not getting paid until the end of next month, and we're running on fumes. Yeah, I'm really sorry. I'm working on a couple jobs right now that'll clear all that. I'll have it real soon, promise. Siobhan stood with her arms crossed as Doug got into the driver's seat and started the engine. Bye-bye, Mummy. We love you. Have fun at the horror movie. The kids waved out the window at their mum. Thanks for listening.